Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Soft, with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl. Thank you, Paul. How you doing today, folks? My name is Daryl Prale on Inside. Inside Sales, the only sales podcast where we talk about the pragmatic, tactical, actionable content that makes you more successful every single day in your job as a sales professional. We don't talk strategy. We don't talk vision. We just talk real life. So I'm really excited about today's conversation because I got to tell you, this is something that I've been very guilty of not doing on more than one occasion. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, what is that, Daryl? Because that doesn't really narrow it down for us. You're guilty of doing a lot of things. On many occasions, you are a bad, bad boy. And while this is true, let me share today's topic with you. You know how you're sitting here right now listening to this episode? Well, I see that's a skill. And in fact, that's a skill that most people don't use to its optimal course. Let's call it that. Today's conversation, we're talking about how to be a better listener. Stats will tell you that if you're talking way more than you're listening in your sales calls, then you're not going to be successful. And then if you're talking, what you're not hearing is the pains, the problems, the issues, the challenges that the client is trying to share with you. Further, even if you are listening in your mind, but your head is going forward to that next step to say, I want to ask them this and I want to ask them that, then you're not really listening. You're just pausing and then you miss the important stuff. It's all that stuff that they say going to make your value prop better and give you the tools, the breadcrumbs you need to close more deals and win more sales. So today is all about how to be a better listener. And as I said, I'm not the best person about that, but let me introduce you to David Premer. Now, from his early days, tinkering with test tubes and differential equations as an award-winning scientist, such a an award-winning scientist, to leading top-performing sales teams at high-growth tech startups, David Premer brings a lifelong passion for uncovering the hidden insights in the world around us. His practice as the founder of Cerebral Selling. David, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Oh, pleasure, Daryl. Great to be with you here. That's, that was quite an energetic introduction. So yeah, it's going to be a good show. I, I have a bit of a reputation for being really boring and monotone. I'm working on that, as you can tell. <laughs> so it's a fight every single day. I love this topic. Now, I got to ask, you know, you call yourself an, a science, like a sales science. What's the scoop on that? So I assure you it's 100% legit. So first of all, and I know everyone here on the on the call listening to the podcast is, is probably in sales. And, you know, the, the running joke about sales is that no one ever, as they were growing up, going to school, said, hey, you know what I want to be when I grow up is I want to be in sales. No one ever says that. And so it's just really all a matter of, well, where did we all come from? We all came from someplace different. And my place happened to be, I started my career as a research scientist. I was actually from Toronto. I was doing graduate work in the engineering at the University of Toronto here, uh, building computer models of all things. And this was around kind of the turn of the dot-com boom, where there was a influx of hiring happening from science and technology streams into uh, tech companies that were flourishing at the time. And that's how I got into sales. I started my career as a solution engineer 
But yeah, no, I was doing tons of research. I published journals and articles in scientific journals. I've always just been very, very curious about the world. And when I got into sales, I kind of just took that same curiosity and applied it to the world of selling, which, as you know, is very curious to begin with. There's a lot of weird things that happen in sales. There's people, relationships, quotas, and sales has changed so much over the last 20 years. So it's been a real amazing ride to kind of experience the changing systems and applying some of the tactics and strategies that I've used in my scientific career to uh, to the sales gig. All right. So I got to share with you know, some people who listen to this show on a regular basis, they know this already. So for those people, I apologize sharing the story again, but it's new to David. And I love telling stories new to somebody who, <laughs> who has a fresh sense of appreciation for my stories. We all come from somewhere, right? My education was I was a computer programmer and I did that for almost eight years before I ultimately ended up in the marketing. But you said, you said your first gig was as a solutions engineer. My first gig that got me on this road was as a sales engineer. So not that different. It's exactly the same. I think the, the, the uh, that we use the same title interchangeably. Yeah, I think we did. You know, it's yes. polite, but it's true. So for me, I went from, which is, I can totally see how this goes. I went from being that, sales engineer to being a product manager to being product marketing to being marketing and then to being at that point in time i was then a vp sales and marketing and so i've had multiple bags but it's an interesting segue so you're like a kindred spirit so that's kind of cool i like that now again for those who haven't listened to the show before it's really straightforward i find these really interesting people who are out there and i kind of say i see what they're talking about and i'm like oh oh that's what i want to talk about and that's how you and I hooked up listening, though. I mean, how does that come to be? I mean, there's got to be a backstory there that makes this topic so passionate for you. I want to hear what how that happened. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, listening is tough. Uh, we like to jump in and solve problems, and we're not generally good listeners. Uh, listening for many people, especially in sales, is kind of like going to the gym. Easy to say, hard to do. Yeah, I'll you know, be a good listener, but it's not something that we often practice. And I found two things. Number one, as I kind of transitioned from a career in the sales trenches, I, you know, I spent my 20 years across four startups, and then uh, I spent five years at Salesforce after they acquired my third startup. I saw a lot of sales reps, and I had a lot of young, enthusiastic reps on my team. And we all know that oftentimes in selling, the quality of the discovery that we do with our customers, the better the questions that we ask and so on, the more we listen, the better the sales cycle goes. And it's interesting when I think about better sales cycles, I'm not even saying winning sales cycles. I'm talking about figuring out if this is a customer that has a problem that we can solve and do they believe we can solve it. And if we can, we move forward. And if we can't, we cut it off and we don't move forward. And so this idea of losing fast and winning fast is all traced back to doing quality discovery, which is in turn related to the quality of the listening that we do. So that was kind of the, the first thing. I saw how important listening was to discovery. Then the other thing that kind of sparked my curiosity, and I, I wrote an article about this recently, there was a report from Salesforce. They called the 2018 State of Sales Report. I think this was the second or third year they put this out. Tons of research, tons of data. It's awesome. Free report. Go download it. One of the questions they ask in this report is they ask salespeople to list a number of factors in order of priority in terms of having an extreme or substantial impact on their ability to convert prospects into customers. So they list all these things. Number one on the list is listening. And more interesting almost than that, number 10 on the list is demonstrating ROI. So it's almost the business value is pushed very far down. 
the art and act of listening is pushed very far up. And this is salespeople answering this question, saying, when I listen, I'm able to a much more greater extent, extreme, substantial extent, convert prospects to customers. And so this is kind of what got me interested in talking more about this and teaching this topic. You know, I talk to a lot of sales professionals every single day, nature of my job here at Nelsoft, and many of them think they're veterans, they're skilled, they've learned from their past mistakes, and they don't necessarily identify with having specific issues. So let's have some fun. Are there warning signs? Are there indicators that might suggest we're not as effective listening as we could be? Yeah, certainly. Well, I think one of the biggest things, and I've written a bunch of content on this as well. Have you ever gone out of a discovery call? Maybe you spent a half an hour, maybe an hour with the customer. Maybe you were even in person. And you left the call and you looked at your notes and you went back to the office and you're like, okay, I'm going to start forecasting this and figuring out what to do next. And you look at your notes and you say, shit, I got nothing. Got nothing good. We, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking we, about. This we, never happened to me. Yeah, yeah. We spoke for a long time. Like we were smiling. They were like, oh my gosh, can we, can we redo that discovery call again? And that's probably one of the first symptoms is like you, you end up not leaving the call with what you wanted. And then secondly, you know, one of the other symptoms is just discovery. Uh, stages of sales cycles that end up taking abnormally long. I actually did this analysis when I was in Salesforce. I did it at my last VP sales role as well. And I went into our CRM and I took a look and I said, show me the amount of time that we spend in the discovery phase of our sales cycle. So however, you might have eight stages, five stages, whatever stages you classify as discovery, I want you to take a look at how much time in you know days you spend or however long in that discovery phase for deals that you win and deals that you lose. Now, of course, with deals that you lose, you don't get all the way through the sales cycle, but chances are, hopefully, you at least got through the discovery phase. And what I found across the you know, tons of data points is that my teams spent three times longer losing deals than winning, meaning they spent three times longer in the discovery phase of deals they ended up doing. And there's lots of reasons for that. I think one of the reasons that clients go dark on us, especially in the discovery phase, is that they don't see us as someone who can help them, right? And only when they see us as someone who can help them will they engage with us. And so if you're looking at your sales cycles and you're like, hey, you know, yeah, we're we're losing a little more often than we'd like, and these losing sales cycles are actually extending far out beyond the sales cycles that we win in the discovery phase, that could be a huge symptom. It's funny because getting ready for today's recording, I was actually a little self-conscious because I knew the recording was on listening. And I, I I may have a tendency to kind of jump into the conversation sometimes because I get all excited. But uh, I want you to know, David, I'm working really hard to listen to everything you're saying. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> trying to do the same. It's hard, isn't it, Daryl? Isn't it, it is. hard? You get excited, right? <laughs> so I'm almost thinking I should get my wife to listen to this session, just saying. Because then she'll want me to listen to her, and that's not going to gonna work backwards on me. Oh, it's not good. All right, totally incorrect. And this is probably a good time to take a break so I can get back on course. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time make less than two attempts to contact them, and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing-qualified leads into sales-qualified leads. 
According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. Blow your quota out of the water. How? By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that is optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. All right, so let's talk about how we can be better listeners. And I think you've got a, a few tips and tricks up your sleeve. And remember, guys, the, the whole goal here of Inside Inside Sales is to get into actionable things you can do to apply immediately and make your life better and more successful and hit that quota every single time. So talk to me. What are some of the uh, tips and tricks we should be intentionally applying to be better listeners? Well, you know, so I'll start with something very, very simple, which is just shut up. Don't speak. Try to resist your urge to speak. And in fact, what I actually used to do, and look, we all need help with this. What I used to do, and I've seen a lot of people do, is put like a little sticky note under their monitor or wherever they are by their phone that just says, listen, right? Just to keep it top of mind, because oftentimes we can just go off the rails and, and speak too much. There's actually a lot of good technology that can, like these call analytics tools, which I've used at, at my uh, my other companies, where it will actually tell you what percentage of the time you are speaking versus your customer speaking. And that's a great way of creating awareness because oftentimes we may not realize how much we are speaking relative to the other person. And there's some really great benchmarks out there that talk to this idea. So that's kind of just number one. The second thing is this idea, I, I talk about just eye contact. Now, obviously, we can't always be in front of our customers having these discussions. And, and certainly when we're doing on-site discovery, if we're lucky enough to do that, everyone's focused. We know we're there. No one's surfing the Internet or doing something off to the side. But even when you are remote, one of the things that I love to do, and I'm a huge proponent of video, is use video. And it was funny, I love using video for lots of reasons, because it breaks down the emotional barrier between you and your customer. You know, Daryl, like, you know, ever you're driving in your car and like some jerk cuts you off in traffic and you start, so, and I can, I can, I don't know, for whatever, we haven't known each other for a long time, but I can picture you doing this for some reason. And, you know, you, you start behaving in a way that might be inconsistent with how you would behave in normal everyday society when a person cuts you off. Has my wife been talking to you? Right. So I, I figured the reason that you behave that way is because one of the reasons you don't know who that other person is. If you knew who they were, if you knew of them, even if they, you weren't friends, they were someone who you saw, they, you know, you, they ceased to be a faceless person and started to be someone that you know, you would behave differently. And this is a huge tip just for anyone doing discovery. You will learn more things about your customers and be able to listen better when you do that discovery when you have that conversation over video. And, you know, there's no excuse nowadays. There's a million, you know, video conferencing tools. So keeping that eye contact is a, and, and, and showing the other person that you're maintaining that eye contact, you're nodding the verbal cues, you're saying, mm hmm, yes, you know, tell me more, um, is a great way. And in fact, it was funny. I oftentimes, now look, I always want to make sure my clients are comfortable on video. So if I do like a video discovery call and, you know, I'm, I'm, booting up the Zoom and I say, hey, you know, can can we get on video? I actually had a client who was a great client. She said, she's like, oh, we got to be on video. Now I have to pay attention. And that's exactly what you want. It's not just the fact that you want to be a good listener. You want the other person to be listening to you. So that eye contact and nodding is a huge, huge way of making sure you're listening. I'll uh -huh. interrupt you there because yeah. you're speaking of something that's really, really powerful, right? How many of us are guilty 
of multitasking on the calls. We have a call going on and we're doing our email, we're on LinkedIn or whatever. We're multitasking. I'm guilty of it. And I had never thought of it until you said it just now. If, if I do put them on video, then they have to be as attentive to me as I am to them, which is exactly what I want in a sales discovery call. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'll, I'll go one further. Even sometimes when you're on a video call, you're looking at your webcam, but the other person doesn't see what you're looking at, but they can tell if you start, you boot up the web browser in the background, you're checking something and you, and if you're not telling them you're doing it, like there's lots of ways, oh, you know, Hey, Daryl, I'm yeah. just looking for something here. Hold on a sec. But if you're just kind of doing it as a happenstance, sometimes they can see it in the reflection of your eyes, a picture behind you, your eyeballs, but they can certainly tell when you are unfocused, right? So just keep it locked, keep it locked. Say, I'll go one step further in this variation of active listening is as much as active eye contact because sometimes we listen with our eyes, right? And I make a point, and maybe because this is the marketer in me, that when I'm on a call with someone, like in a discovery call, for example, is that I'm staring at that webcam lens. Our natural inclination is to stare at the person on the screen. I can hear them. I want them to know that I'm looking at them. Any thoughts on that? Because I know if I do that, I may be missing out on some visual cues that their body language is conveying. Thoughts on that at all? I always liked, it's funny, so I notice that sometimes, depending on who you're talking to, where the webcam is and so on. I like to look at the person, you know, certainly uh, as long as, or position the, the video close yes, that's to what your I webcam. Do. So, yes. yes. So you're not looking off to the side. Yes. You run and it, what I'll do is I'll... I'll shrink the window so it's smaller. So, you know, cause if they're, if I have a 24 or 27 inch monitor and their head is full size, you know, all you can see with a webcam is, is their forehead. If I shrink it smaller, <laughs> then I can actually see most of their head while still looking at the lens. Totally. And, and you know, this kind of goes back to like that research from Salesforce that said that, you know, most, the most sellers, the number one thing they said they can do to improve their conversion rate is listen. One of the questions I asked in, uh, I think I mentioned this to you on LinkedIn was, well, why do you, I posted the, the chart and I said, why do you think this is? And, you know, it's, you know, my belief is based on this premise that people first and foremost, and there's lots of research to support this, buy feelings. They don't buy products. They don't buy ROI. They buy feelings. And you know this, you know, whether you, the, the decision you made at the food court today, what you chose to eat for lunch was based on a feeling of either indulgence or wanting to be healthy or something, right? Uh, we all buy things based on feelings. And so when you are focused and locked on someone in a conversation, you are doing good listening, active listening, they can feel that. And at the end of the day, when they buy the solution that you're proposing, in a way, they're buying you. They're buying the experience. They're totally buying you because they trust you. Yeah. Yes. They buy, they're buying that experience. And that's why when you don't listen, they are also buying that. That's when they don't call you back. Yep. Totally agree. All right. You, I interrupted you. You're on your third point. Number one, just to recap, was don't, don't talk. You don't know, speak. Don't speak. One. Shut up. Just, just shut up and listen. Number two was yes. active eye engagement and somewhat body language. So you're nodding. You're, you're, you're conveying that you're attentively listening. That was points one and two. What's point number three? Point number three is just writing things down. You know, I say writing things down not only helps you remember the information later on, but it demonstrates to the customer that you are actually interested enough in their insights to memorialize them in writing. And even if you're on the, like if you're on the phone and, and I often take notes on the computer, you know, so when I'm on the webcam, they can sometimes hear the clickety clack and, and that's all good. Sometimes after they finish saying what they're saying and you're still typing or writing something down, 
it's actually not only is it good to say, oh, I'm, that's good. I'm just give me one second. Just writing this down. But especially if they can't see you, it is a great way to reinforce the fact that you are writing that down. So that's just, you know, n- number one, just say, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm just writing this down. Super, super simple and something you honestly should be doing anyways. So that's number three. So did you write anything down yet in our conversation? Because we're not on video call, so I don't know if you're active listening. Yeah, you don't know what I'm doing. You're doing a lot of talking. I hear that. So I don't know, man. (laughs) Just saying. Point number three is is write things down. I was going to, I was going to push you along, dude. Get the point number four. Thank you. Well, well, point number four is, well, and how exactly what we're talking about. Well, how did you know I wrote things down? And you write things down. You know how that I wrote, wrote things down. You know, I was listening when I recap. Right when I recap and, and ideally, if I can recap using the exact same words that you used, it does two things. Number one, it proves that I wrote it down. And sometimes you can say, and I, you know, Daryl, you mentioned at the beginning of the call and I quote, and then I say that back and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, you're, this is great. He was listening. But then also there's a magic that happens when you use the exact same words as your customer. And there's been tons of studies. I love, as you know, the science of selling. There's tons of studies that have been done on this, especially in the hospital. In the mirroring, yeah. In the hospitality industry, when waiters repeat their customers' orders back to them verbatim, tips increase. Writing things down not only helps uh, improve listening because we are obviously actively transcribing what we're hearing, but also using the exact same words back to our customer is that mirroring technique, which has been scientifically proven to improve affinity. So recapping is a tremendous, with the exact same words, is a tremendously important tactic. And what's unique about that, too, I mean, just from a pure human dynamic psychology point of view, is that the act of writing things down is going to stick in your head. So you going as I recap, you made a point earlier about how many times we've done a discovery call, sat down afterwards and looked at our notes and said, what did we talk about? I don't know. Whereas, you know, not even writing things down, A, that solves that problem. But B, it's the physical interaction of pen with paper, so to speak, that burns it in your psyche so that you can now leverage that. You know it. It's instinctive. That's, that's you know, you want to retain that. All right. You have one more big-ass point you want to make here. What would that big-ass <laughs> point be? Well, this is like a compound point, but the big-ass point is just ask good follow-up questions. Nothing shows that you've been listening than a really good follow-up question. And oftentimes, when you hear like a bad discovery call, what does bad listening sounds like, I'll ask you a question, and you'll tell me the answer, and I'll say, awesome. And then I'll move on to the next question. And then you'll tell me the next answer. And I'll say, thanks. And then I'll move on to the next question. And this is like the polite interrogation that customers hate, hate, right? Nothing showcases that I, it's the fact that I'm somehow moving down a checklist of items than this polite interrogation. So ask good follow-up questions. And it could be something as simple as, hey, can you give me an example of that? Or how long has that been going on? If you structure your questions correctly in the first place, they can very easily lend themselves to follow-up questions. So a simple example, I actually published a video on my on my YouTube channel today about this. I call them the one to 10 question. So I might say, so Daryl, you know, we were chatting today about listening. Let me ask you a question. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're like the Dr. Phil of listening. You're listening all the time. And one being, you know, there's no room for, you know, for listening because you're talking. Where would you say you fall on that scale? And whatever number you say, is insanely interesting to me. Oh, you're a seven? That's what, why do you say seven? And so asking questions that naturally lend themselves to good follow-up 
is always a good discovery practice, but simply asking those good follow-up questions prove to the person that you weren't just tuned out, that you are interested in hearing more about what they said, and certainly combining these with, I, w- I was writing that down, so you said A, B, and C. Can I ask you a follow-up question? What about this? So you can kind of combine these things together and chain them together, but asking good follow-up questions, number five. And what's powerful about that, of course, is the whole idea of what you were just doing there is you were asking open-ended questions as well. You know, you sure you at the stage, what, what are your skills? What a 10, you'll go, you're a seven. You know, why are you a seven? That's an open-ended question. It's not a yes or no question. And then shut up, going back full circle to just listen, because when you shut up, they will share and share and share and share and share, which is really, really important. The other part there, though, is really interesting, and we haven't covered it, but I, I know it comes up with my conversations often with a lot of the sales professionals, is when it comes to listening, you have to be comfortable that at times there will be an awkward silence um, as they ponder the answer or they're not quite sure. And that's okay. Let the silence simmer. They will come. They will fill it, which is really what you want as well, right? You want them to share that knowledge because after all, it is a discovery call or it is a negotiation or your objection handling. Listening permeates the entire sales cycle but be comfortable with silence that's all good all right we are running out of time and i'm sorry guys because i thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with david today he's engaging and he's energetic i think you you might actually be one of the most energetic guests i've had well that's high praise i have to say i I, I can never have you back again because i don't need the competition um right you're with cerebralselling.com and uh, for those of you who are spelling challenged because david didn't pick a simple word, cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L, selling.com. And they can find you on LinkedIn too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. You can reach me through the website. Uh, I publish new content every week. I love, love, love sharing. In fact, you know, I've been writing content, producing videos for a number of years now, predating my business. In fact, I started Cerebral Selling as a website during my last VP of sales role simply because I had all this content, but I didn't have my own website. I was writing for Salesforce and all these other outlets. And uh, so I just decided to pull it together and you can uh, check it all out there. There, It's all free. I, don't, I give everything away because I do believe that part of what our mission should be in the world of modern selling is to stamp out the undesirable element, the old school sales tactics that cast a shadow on our profession that make people not like us and make it hard for us to do our modern job of really, really helping people. So uh, I like to give everything away for free so that people can get better. You're just so damn articulate. I, I just want to give you a hug, man. And what I find so crazy here <laughs> is that, because you guys don't get to listen to what we talk about before we start the podcast, what I learned from David was, before we started, that this is the second podcast recording in the day. And, and what I learned on this call, because I was actively listening, is he also shot some videos and put them on YouTube this morning. This man is a content machine. If, if your company is looking to supercharge your revenue growth or perhaps develop your people better or just refine the culture and you want to do that with the principles of science, empathy, and just outright execution, then you should check out David at CerebralSelling.com. He's on LinkedIn. You'll, his name is a little funky, so it's uh, D-P-R-I-E-M-E-R. That's his LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash D-Premier. You can check him out there. In the meantime, David, I had a lot of fun today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I'm so grateful. 
Me too, Dara. Look, I have to say, like, you definitely win the most energetic podcast award from the ones I've been. I've been on some great podcasts with some awesome people. Don't get me wrong. You are definitely up there in terms of level of enthusiasm, oh. which is, is awesome. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're funny. You know, just see so your record though, there's no money in it, just so you know. But <laughs> what's that, guys? That's another episode. We're done. We're out of here. We are found at inside, insidesales.com. Check us out, share us, like us, subscribe to us. In the meantime, guys, we wish you a wonderful day. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Dara Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by VanillaSoft.